0: Coming up on today's show...
1: Don't be so overly critical of yourself that you just don't put anything out. You paralyze yourself and you don't do anything. Put it out. It's just a snapshot of time, of the period. Yes, you're going to be better. Yes, you're going to make better music. That doesn't mean that you don't put this out now.
2: Let me see make every worth it, for us, this. i been around the world. I kissed a lot of girls Welcome
0: don't to another don't new episode of like Now Hear This like Entertainment don't featuring interviews with like guests you. who are having success in entertainment, nobody primarily music. I am Bruce Warzniak talking to guests who are singers, know. songwriters, musicians, recording artists and more from the worldwide music community. Get in touch with me by writing to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. No,
2: so. the devil is alive. The devil, the
0: Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Los Angeles, my guest is a multi-Grammy nominee and a multi-talented platinum-selling producer, songwriter, composer arranger educator and instrumentalist he co-produced and wrote good kisser for r&b singing sensation usher which climbed to number one on the u.s r&b hip-hop charts and garnered his first nomination for best r&b song at the 2015 grammy awards his songwriting and arranging were also featured on the 2020 grammy nominated album of the year thank you next by ariana grande and he is a voting member of the Recording Academy. He is a Los Angeles College of Music, Songwriting, and Music Business faculty member who has also worked with Lizzo and with Her. You've been hearing the aforementioned Good Kisser by Usher. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Jameel J. Proof Roberts.
1: Hi, good morning. Thank you, Bruce. It's good to be here.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you ever so much for making time to speak with me today. I know the song has been out there for a number of years, but just talk about Good Kisser by Usher anyway. Take us back to writing that song and then co-producing that for him, not to mention the eventual Grammy nomination.
1: Yeah, man. So I think that, you know, the industry at times, so much of it can be sort of an apprenticeship based sort of notion. And uh, you know, my patriarchs of music were a couple of producers named Pop and Oak and so I was living in Philly at the time and pop and I, you know, it's the type of thing that on the east coast where I, I kinda grew up, in the wintertime there's nothing to do. You know, <laughs> like it's you're snowed in, it's cold, that kind of thing, you know. So during the wintertime is when we started to really sort of ramp up our output and just kind of making records and, and things of that nature. So I remember like a really Cold, like wintertime in our studio at Sigma Studios at the time. Sort of this really old, sort of Philadelphia sound, Gamble and Huff, like classic studios. It's no longer there, but we're in there late at night, maybe like 2 a.m. or so, and I'm tired, and so I'm like, God, I just call it a night. <laughs> and we pulled up the sample. As a, you know, my parents are from the Caribbean, and there's actually this song called Montego Bay, which is an area of Jamaica where my mom is from. And we pulled up the sample, we, we pulled it up, we chopped it up, and you know pop says, hey you know you be able to kind of jump on this and see if you hear anything harmonically you know so i started sitting down at the keyboard started playing some chords and that was the genesis of the song in the mm. middle of the winter like 2 a.m i didn't want to be there but we kind of stuck it out and from that point we started creating the song i think maybe by like a week later we had sent it out to some A&R, to rca and usher heard it and he absolutely loved it and we went down to atlanta maybe like a month or so later and you know met up with him and brought the song to him and just he cut it. It was just an amazing experience, kind of the backstory of that record.
0: Okay. I have several follow up questions. Let's see if I can remember them all. So in reverse order, when you say you went down to Atlanta, so does that mean that you were there in the studio maybe playing on the song? What was your role at that point once he had already said, I want this, let's go cut it and you went to Atlanta?
1: Yeah, so we created and completed like essentially the whole song, you know, prior to meeting up with him and sort of recording with him. And so when we went down there, typically when you have a song and you, you know, you have a potential song and it's a song demo and you present it to an artist, you know, you you still meet up with them and kind of work out like how you want to, you know, vocal produce a song with him. And and if there are any changes or sort of any sort of, you know, like edits or things of that nature that he may want to kind of input into the song.
0: Well, you know, another question that I was going to ask you initially was can you remember the circumstances around writing that song and I told myself my gosh it was part of the 2015 Grammy Awards that was so long ago and Jamil has worked on so many songs since then but then again it comes back around to yeah 2015 Grammy Awards you don't forget the particulars around a song that you wrote that went that big
1: yeah I mean I'd had some big records before you know I did a record with a really you know successful rapper named Nicki Minaj and yeah R&B singer was on a song Chris Brown but that was like my first nomination so yeah man some of those the details are still fresh you know just being in that space late at night in the dead of winter and just like grinding you know Mm -hmm. from maybe like from 2012 to about 2015 I was literally in the studio six days a week you know Michael Gladwell has sort of a a pop science book he talks about the outliers and putting in your 10,000 hours I certainly put in well over 10000 hours during that time
0: period. (laughs) Well, and you also did a good job of filling in the gaps. My mind started to work as you were telling us the story, and I thought, did he know he was writing it for Usher? But you said, we shopped it to A&R people, and that's where it landed. So we're off to a great start here, some good storytelling. Over my 10 years of doing this show, I have been fortunate enough to get listeners from 163 countries around the world so, Jamil, for those just being introduced to you for the first time, let's start at The Logical Place, which is the beginning. Tell us about your background. You started to mention a little bit about your heritage, but just fill the audience in on the background that you started with. Yeah, of
1: course. I'm the son of Caribbean immigrants. Like My mother's from Jamaica. My dad's from a joint island nation in the Lesser Antilles called Antigua Barbuda. And so I grew up, you know— a lot of Caribbean sort of immigrants and people that come from the Caribbean, they come to New York City as their sort of first entry, sort of the classic Ellis Island sort of immigration notion there. And so, you know, much of my family moved to New York. New York, of course, has its own area literally called Jamaica, right? <laughs> so hmm. we moved there and, you know, sort of the culture and things that I grew up listening to, I grew up listening to the music of my mom's of Jamaica, you know, reggae, dance hall, things of that nature. And my father's music was the music of, Calypso and Soca and Benna and Ditti, right, sort of these crosses between, you know, South American, you know, sort of the the Afro-Latin sort of uh, melting pot. And so the music I listened to was that. But then my parents, you know, of course, they were Americanized or got Americanized or became Americanized. And so in sort of in black households, one of the sort of rituals that you do on Saturday mornings is you clean. And, you know, your mother wakes you up and you're like, no, I don't want to wake up. And she puts on music and you you sort of clean the entire house, you know, sort of the notion there. And so she put on like The Temptations. And of course, one of my favorite, who I think is the best songwriter of my lifetime, of my existence is Stevie Wonder. You know, she would put on Stevie and The Temptations and The Mm -hmm. Commodores. And that's the kind of music I grew up listening to. Bob Marley, things of that nature. And so that kind of shaped my musical sort of upbringing. And then, of course, I found my love of my, my favorite genre, which is jazz, right? And of course... Most sort of Black American music-based, you know, genres are all interconnected. And so, you know, jazz being like one of the ones that was kind of unique to this particular country—the melding of sort of West African, you know, rhythms and things of that nature, then you, you know, Eastern European harmonies and things of that nature. And so, that was the genre I found, and I kind of found through that genre like it helped me to understand all genres because one of the things about jazz is we're so concerned with harmonies and just colors and tones. And so once you understand the nature and the notion of that, no genre is off limits for you. you Mm. There's no understanding that you can't have once you sort of understand that nation. So, you know, I found my love for a lot of genres kind of in that past. And so, you know, I went to school obviously for jazz performance, for saxophone was my first instrument.
0: Let me just jump in for a minute because you just said something interesting that made me think of, few weeks ago, episode 517 in particular, Peter Martin is a composer oh and acclaimed God. jazz pianist, and I had no reason to doubt him. I just like the synergy that there was Peter Martin on episode 517 in January saying almost the same thing that you just said, Jamil, which is that jazz really does come from America. And so it reinforces that point. Like I said, I'm not second-guessing what he said that time but it's great to hear you kind of talking around that same spirit with which Peter mentioned, but do please continue. We're mentioning going off to college. And just
1: to that notion too, I grew up listening to Peter Martin. He is wow. a fantastic pianist. Wow! Like I still listen to his stuff. So he's amazing, but yes, he is exactly correct. Right. This notion, you know, I teach a couple of classes on just American popular music and just sort the history of American popular music. And you know, like black American sort of music history as well, and even opera and just the connections and sort of just the growth of what we consider to be American popular music, like where it comes from, like sort of the evolution of it. It's fascinating. Mm. It's so fascinating to think that the genres that we have came from field songs and work songs from enslaved black people in fields. Mm. I think that that's the genesis of certain genres of music in this country. You get all the way to like, you, know, you progress to ragtime and through I mean all types of things. Tin Alley all the way to, to Chuck Berry and the genesis of rock and roll. Like this it's such a fascinating thing to trace the lineage of just music in this country. And all the contributions because what American pop and music is made up of is three distinct sort of cultural branches. Right. There's the European, you know, sort of branch, because of course America was, you know, founded by sort of the, the migration of Europeans here to the country. And there's the Latino, the Latin based, right, sort of that branch. And then there's of course there's the black or sort of the African based sort of branch, and all three of those things, those three branches have come together to make American popular music And So there's no other sort of notion of it throughout the world. It's the reason why sort of American popular music is like, I don't want to say it's a pinnacle of things, but it's sort of sought after. It's sort yeah, of, kind emulated, of standard. you know, sort of the notion of it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, fill in a few blanks for me. You started to mention college, so I do want to hear about that. And then you mentioned before about being in a studio in Philadelphia, but you said that you were living in Jamaica, New York. So was that a back and forth or did you relocate to Philly? And then ultimately, how do you end up out in Los Angeles?
1: Okay, yeah. So as a child, my family was in New York City. And then we moved to the suburbs a little bit outside the city to Connecticut. And so Hmm. my mid-childhood was spent in Connecticut, just, you know, at school and then I, for undergraduate school, I went to William Patterson University, which is right over the bridge in New Jersey from New York City. Mm-hmm. You know, all of my sort of upbringing music, was just based around New York City, right? When I finished undergrad, I was like, you know, I'm moving to New York City. I'm going to be the classic, the quote, unquote, starving jazz musician. <laughs> I'm going to just grind and, and play the gigs just for the love of that music, right? Mm. Who cares if we get paid? Who cares about living? <laughs> and, and you know, having to survive in this world. You know, your parents, of course, are like, Jamil, like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, you know, my brother is, uh, like, literally, when I talk to people about this, it's so hilarious. My brother is literally a a state rep, right, in the 137th District in Connecticut. He's a state representative. My sister (laughs) is an assistant attorney general for the state of Connecticut. And here you have Jamil, (laughs) the musician. (laughs)
0: Saying, uh, the bills will pay themselves. Who cares about that? Don't discourage me. (laughs) who
1: cares? Who cares about it? You know what I mean? So you had this notion here, you know, you have Caribbean parents or American parents and they, they come to this country, they want their children to have you know, super successful jobs. You know, yeah. they're not aware that in the music industry there are so many ways to be successful to support mm. yourself and to have a career. And so that was something that I had to, you know, sort of prove to them and and, and hence my production name is literally J-Proof, right? Yeah. Part of that I think subconsciously is in there. And so, you know, I went to undergrad, studied jazz performance and then I I left school, I you know, finished school, and I moved to New York City. And I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to just immerse myself in music and, and playing and just gigging and making music. And so I, I did that for a little bit, and then I realized, you know what, education is a passion of mine. I want to go back to school. I want to get a graduate degree, a master's degree. And I thought to myself, well, what could I do that in? And I thought, well, you know, what genres of music at that time? My love for all genres was pretty intense. I said, what field of music could I do that could I could apply my love for all and my knowledge for all genres of music? I said, oh, film scoring right? When you write music for film or you apply it to that medium, mm. there's no like sort of limitation to the genre. Like we've all heard film scores where they've just been hip hop or rap songs, or they've been guitar based, or they've been classical based or orchestral based, or they've been, you know, Latin based. Like there's no sort of like, you know, this cut off of what you can do with film scoring. And so I decided to apply to New York University, NYU, and I got in and I started studying film scoring for a little bit there mm. at NYU. And then of course life comes and I got a buddy who's a huge musical director. He did like the Super Bowl and he's a musical director for a bunch of huge artists. a guy named wow. Adam Blackstone. He has a really, you know, he's nominated for Emmys. And so I got the call that, you know, we're going to start doing some touring stuff for, for LL Cool J. And oh. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave school <laughs> and do it. So I left school and I started, just, you know, just to do that. And obviously all of your parents and your authority figures, they always tell you, hey, when you start making money in the real world... <laughs> It's going to be hard to, like, want to go to school and stay. And I was, I felt that urge. I felt that, sort of, that pull, right? Mm. It was like, school? I'm in the world world. I'm making money now. I'm touring. Yeah. I, I'm a success in the industry, so to speak. As a performer at that time, not as a songwriter, or producer. But then I said to myself, you know what, education is super important. And I always had that, sort of, that pull from my parents. So I said, you know what, I'm going to pause this a little bit, and I'm going to go back to school and finish my degree. Wow. And so, at the time, I had, sort of, transitioned to living in Philadelphia because, you know, performance-wise, I had actually come on at, at a huge mega church there. I was playing keyboard at a big church there. Uh, and So, I had transitioned back and forth from, from New York to Philly in a little while and then eventually okay. I decided to kind of, you know, settle in Philadelphia. And so when I settled in Philadelphia, that's when I started to get into production and songwriting, okay. right? I had okay. linked with sort of some, some people in that sort of nation. That's where sort of my production and songwriting genesis happened was in Philadelphia. A great town like just like New York City, an amazing city.
0: By the way, just to go back to when you talked about LL Cool J, so I want to understand this. So you were out on the road performing with him. You were part of his show, yes? I'm guessing you were playing keyboards?
1: Yes, and no. Even at that time, you know, I was playing saxophone, which is a crazy thing to think about. I think one of the things that you find when you're I mean, you find this in all sorts of disciplines, but in music, you never know where you're going to end up. Like, you know, I'm a Caribbean-American man that Makes hip hop and R and d and pop music. You know what I mean? I never knew what my path would lead me, but you know, it was just a type of thing where you just kind of follow your musical interests and see where they lead you. You know,
0: but okay. so that
1: was sort of the notion of things. We toured with LL. We did like BT like performances. Like we did the. Uh, well, they have a big festival in the summer called Essence Music Festival. I think Katrina happened around the time, so they had moved it from New Orleans to Reliant Stadium in Houston. So we did mm-hmm. the Essence Festival of Houston that year, opening for, like, Earth, Wind & Fire. Just all wow. these amazing wow. acts and things of that nature. Yeah, that's sort of the path there.
0: So just to fast-forward ahead a little bit, when did you move to Los Angeles? And then thinking about that impressive list of career highlights that I read off in the intro, what path did you take to get to where you are today? Once you, I assume it was once you got to Los Angeles. Well,
1: actually... So my path to today happened. The genesis of that was in Philadelphia, oh. and so I was playing at a particular like huge. It was like a mega church. I was playing at a huge mega church. Uh-huh. At that church, I you know I'd worked under a musical director that I'd known for a little while. I mean, we composed. He was on television. The pastor of that church, and so I composed a theme song for his television show when it came on, and you know we had a bunch of services a week, like multiple services at the church. It was like, it was a full, like sort of musical director, you know, sort of situation, but just at a religious institution at a church. Mm-hmm. And so one of the drummers that was at that church was sort of a co-manager of my musical patriotic production songwriting, Pop and Oak, Warren uh, Oakfelder and Andrew Pop Wansel. And so he said, you know what? You know, he recognized my talent. You know, I was playing keyboards at the time and things That you work for my talent. He said, you know what? I want to bring you in and have you work with them, and just kind of work with, you know, initially their understudy, they had like a little protege, because I've told you before, so much of the music industry, at least in my experience, has been sort of this apprenticeship, sort of master type of thing, right, you work underneath the master, mm-hmm. as the apprentice, and he feeds you, and he brings you along, and then you grow, and you set up on your own. And so I started working with my photo production partner, who was sort of their understudy, you know, Ronald Flip Colson, and so we just started to create songs, and music, and tracks, and you know, we started off as doing that, and then once we started to create our things, we kind of presented it to Pop and Oak, and they loved the stuff, and you know, sort of how it works is we'll have huge sessions with huge artists at the time. like me, like Let's say like Body Cyrus is in the A room with them, and me and Flip would be sort of in the B room, just kind of Creating and cooking up. At times, sometimes you ghost write and ghost produce. Other times, you know they bring you on, and you you know it's sort of how the industry works. Sometimes you have to pay your dues in mm-hmm. certain disciplines, and so we kind of worked in that kind of context. And you know, at times, Flip and I would have our own sort of sessions with maybe a little bit sort of lesser known artists to kind of you know because at the time we're green, we're fresh. Like we know some things. We're extremely talented, but our guys are bringing us into the business. Yeah. You know, Papa kind of showed us the way, and so we would do some stuff with us. You know, on our own, we do some stuff with them. And so there was just a, a learning process and, and a growth process. And so I did that for a number of years. That was amongst the time we did the Usher, some a little bit of the Usher stuff and some of the Mickey Mouse stuff. And so I did that for a little while. And I think about 2018 or 19, Pop called me and was like, hey, we're going in the studio with Ariana. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm like, Ariana, who? Yeah, somebody said <laughs> that to you. Like, yeah, right. It can't be Ariana Grande. And, you know, and so you're at a certain point, your heart's like, you know, kind of drops into your, into your <laughs> stomach for a little bit. Even though, you know, I did huge records before. You know, I've done records with Usher and with Jay Cole. i had been in the studio with the great rapper Jay Cole and Nicki Minaj and things. But that's just Ariana Grande. It's just like a top five, yeah. you know, pop artist in the world. So, you know, they called us in. We went into, you know, and we could kind of chat about those initial sort of thinking next sessions. But, you know, I had been traveling back and forth from the East Coast to the West Coast to do work. Obviously, the Ariana Grande sessions we did in New York City. Oh. Yeah, we did those in New York. Even her current album, she's recorded in New York at Jungle City, which is Alicia Keys' sort of old studio. But, you know, I'd gone back and forth, and after we did all that, and the album was nominated for a Grammy, and I had publish a publishing deal at this point already with Sony Music Publishing. But after the, that, you know, the Grammy nomination came at the top 2020, and so I went to LA to the Grammys. And after the Grammys, that was the year that Billy Eilish won everything. So we didn't win mm-hmm. anything for that particular thank mm-hmm. you next time. But I said to myself, Man, look at the amount of success I've had traveling back and forth from the East Coast to the West Coast. I need to move to the West Coast okay. to LA and make this like happen like strongly and not wow. like a back thing. And wow. so I moved to LA right after the twenty twenty Grammys, packed all my stuff up, put it in storage in Philly and moved out. And then boom, the pandemic hits and <laughs> everything. And that's my genesis or the start place.
0: Wow. With music in LA. wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. What a Hollywood script that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jamil, when you have the resume that you do, working with the likes of Ariana Grande, Usher, her, and many other top recording artists, it begs the question, what unique insight and advice can you share for breaking into the music industry?
1: Well I think it's sort of funny too, because no, things are always sort of progressing here, like like with the landscape of music, right? Obviously, when I started producing and songwriting, we still used CDs. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like CDs were still a still a thing, you know. <laughs> and now the whole market has changed to the streaming platform, and so there are some things that are sort of things germane to like my experience that still maybe are relevant to now, but some things are slightly different. So one of the things I definitely say is. The reality is that you need to be proficient at your craft. That's the first thing I'll always say. And that seems like it's something that's like very, you know, of course, you know, Like that's, that's common sense, right? You need mm-hmm. to be proficient at that. But you'd be so, so surprised, like in today's sort of current climate, that, you know, the internet, like sort of just like the social media sort of world, is just a snapshot of like what people present right? There are so many artists that kind of in the craze of like when they were signing all of these sort of artists just off of the internet, you know, success and just having a bunch of followers and having all of this mm. sort of internet buzz. And then you get these artists into the studio, you get them onto the stage, and they don't have any sort of like charisma or like wow. actual like functional talent. And so my thing is always to my students, I always tell them, listen, the thing that I can't teach you is mojo, is the creative energy, is that magic, right? As a jazz musician, all we do is people think that what jazz is is what improvisation, right? It's magical, it's just made up. But it's not. 90% of jazz is everything that I've inputted. It's things that I've, I've known already, that I've said already, that yeah. I've talked to it, that I've played already, that I've inputted scales, musical motifs, licks, chord progressions, right? The 10% is the magic though. How I make that and put that together, that's all we do as creators is we input mm-hmm. these little synthesis and we synthesize the things we inputted and we regurgitate them and put them out. So it's the same thing, I think, with like when you're, trying to work in the industry and you're trying to produce, there are times when I don't have that 10%, right? Whatever deity you believe in, God and universe, that's that magic, you have to go to that space for that 10%, I can't help you with that. But the functional 90%, right, the tools, the techniques of how you songwrite, how you produce, the notion of that, that's what I give to my students. And so that's what I'm always sort of just a proponent of, is to make sure that you are in those, ready, in those situations You have the things that you can fall back on, uh, the techniques and the tools to use. Because there are so many times, Bruce, when I'm in the studio where I just don't got it. (laughs) I'm a human being, Mm. right? There's days you wake up and and you just don't have it. But when you don't have it those days, you can fall back on the techniques and the tools and the knowledge that you have. And so it may feel rote in those moments and it may feel like derivative, but it's okay. Because we're human beings, like there's a balance to what our creative energy is. And so that's one of my things. I always say, you need to be persistent. You need to put in the work. If there's anything that you do not know and that you have a, a deficiency at, you need to run straight towards it, right? So that's my first sort of motion of what you need to do to go into business. Because the reality is that nobody cares about a degree, right? I've gone to school for degrees. I teach at you know, institutions. And I think it's a wonderful thing because it's an opportunity to network and to learn. But in the room with Ariana Grande, she doesn't care that I went to her. To the mm. version, right? she wants to know when I sit down at that piano and she's crying about Mac Miller and we're writing that song that I have what it takes when she leaves that studio because she can't take it anymore and doesn't come back for the rest of the week they want to know that we can still create the song wow. right? that wow. we have the ability because that literally happened we started to write Imagine with the big record that I did on that particular album and she broke down and she couldn't handle it it was just so traumatic and she left the studio and we're just sitting there Right, it's like, oh, well, what do we do now? Do we give up? <laughs> you know, no, right? Even in the moment when we may not have felt, you know, emotionally inspired, we still were like, no, nah, this is what we got to do. We got to take that energy, and channel it into the song. so, that's my first point: is so you need to be prepared, you need to put in work to learn the craft. So that's sort of like the starting point there.
0: You know? Yeah, that's the great advice. And by the way, folks, <laughs> Jamil mentions the song "Imagine," which. Oh, by the way, happens to be certified platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America. And Jamil, I love the picture that you painted because when you talk about people that look like they're probably good because they're on the Internet, they're on social media, and then you get them into the space where they should be at their best and they freeze or they just don't have it. For some reason, I'm thinking of a comparison to someone that says, oh, I love to cook. I'm really good at it. I get a lot of compliments. And they can follow the same recipe that Gordon Ramsay does. And the one that Gordon Ramsay does is going to taste 20 times better than theirs. It's because they've gotten the reps and they know the secrets. And Gordon Ramsay has put in the time and the work. And sure, he probably went to cooking school, like you said. But it's those intangibles that absolutely have to be there.
1: Yeah, there's absolutely no sort of substitution for the work and the experience that you have. You know, I tell my students all the time this, right? With social media, with these phones, with these, all this technology that we have, everything is at our touch in an instant, right? It's at a snap of a finger. But that's not necessarily how, you know, things work in the industry. Some things are a slow grind, they are a slow burn, right? And you have to put the time and the effort in. And when your opportunity comes, you have to be ready for it. You know what I mean? That's sort of the the notion, that cliche. You have to be ready for the opportunity, right?
0: Yeah, and I get so much music sent to me, I think it's really proof positive that just because you can record at home doesn't make you a musician. It doesn't mean that you're talented. I wonder, because we're talking about young people, Jamil, do you, in fact, work with artists who are just starting out, who are not household names? Or is it, thank you, Bruce, but because of my resume, I'm able to keep plenty busy with the A-list type artists. Can artists who are just starting out inquire with you about possibly working together?
1: I absolutely do. You know, in certain ways, working with sort of lesser established or sort of upcoming artists is a lot more freeing and creative for me, right? Mm -hmm. I I got a couple of different artists that I'm working on that are releasing actually EPs at the top of this first quarter here next month and maybe, you know, the month after as well. You know, a really great artist on Atlantic, Alicia Creedy, and another great artist, from Canada, Stacey Ryan, right? I'm doing some of those. And they're not super household names, but the stuff that we made and are making is super creative. And I'm so into that because for me, this is all about making great music. And I love the opportunity to work with really amazing artists because that is like sort of the pinnacle of the industry. My core is just making great music. And so I'm always working with artists, even if they're not you know, sort of the quote-unquote quintessential A-list pop stars.
0: Yeah, and you are, as I mentioned at the start of the show, and you've kind of alluded to it here and there, you are a Los Angeles College of Music, Songwriting, and Music Business faculty member. Are you doing exactly what it sounds like you're doing, teaching songwriting and teaching one or more music business classes? And by the way, are the majority of these students already involved in music before day one of your classes, meaning they're already songwriting and or recording, producing, performing, or doing something maybe like booking, or is this all new to them when they come into your classroom?
1: So, yes, I do teach at the Los Angeles College of Music, a really amazing institution, and I have absolutely fabulous students. Mainly my focus at the college is to teach songwriting students, but I couple that with, you know, I teach a bunch of sort of history classes because obviously, like, sort of knowing the history can inform your music in the present. And then I also teach sort of my songwriter's of a combination of production because I'm a producer. I came into songwriting from the production side because I'm a musician at my core. right? And so I do that. And there's a plethora of sort of, like my students are super talented. Maybe I'd say maybe 80% of them want to be actual recording artists. Ah, okay. Some of them just want to be songwriters like myself. Like I'm not in particular an artist, right? I'm kind of the behind the scenes person. Right. I'm a glue guy. And so I relate to those students a lot more, obviously, but I have a bunch of students that are super talented. Almost all of them come to the program already having written their songs and just being you know, sort of immersed in music already, okay. for sure.
0: I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Los Angeles by multi-Grammy nominee and platinum-selling producer, songwriter, composer, arranger, educator, and instrumentalist, Jamil J. Proof Roberts. On the show page for this episode, on my podcast website, nhte.net, I'm going to put a link to Jamil's bio page on the Los Angeles College of Music website. There is an email address for him on that page in case you want to get in touch that way. Plus, you will see a link there as well for his Instagram account, which is simply at jproof, by the way. So do find and give him a follow on that platform. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned that you can email me or instead just DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. But even though I do my best to get back to people in a timely fashion, don't you feel better knowing that someone you need to contact is going to be available right away? That's one of the things I like about the OWL app. Somebody who I was recently talking to about it said, isn't that cold calling? And I said, no, (laughs) people are on there because they want be called they want to make new connections they know they're going to get called that's efficient because i don't have to wait for them to get to their emails or their dms they are ready to answer my call or yours or whoever needs or wants to speak with them i got a guest for this show from the owl app i got a client from the owl app a couple weeks ago when i was at podfest multimedia expo in orlando i went to the owl interactive booth and there was a musician there too but get on there and see the wide variety of industries that owl app users are from. On my podcast website, nhte.net, tap or click anywhere that it says home and then read the article that I have there under the headline, help now a phone Um app call away. I included links in that article for you to download the app for free. And I have my invitation code in there, which is a required field as you're setting it up on your phone. Call me up and let's chat. Jamil, before all that, you were talking about your role with the Los Angeles College of Music. I was going to ask if your students have ever collaborated with you on any projects, but do I have this right? Was Lizzo a student of yours and did, in fact, do just that, collaborate with you?
1: Yeah, you know, I know that like sort of sometimes there's like a division of sort of, I don't want to say like statehood and church, but like as you have your students, you're educating them, you're teaching them. At no point do I ever want to take any credit for any of my students' songs, like when I, you know, contributed with them and helped them and, and give them sort of my, you know, expertise, if you would, or advice on music. But the converse, I think, can be appropriate and can be sort of rewarding because it's how I came up musically. And so I spent the previous summer working on a Lizzo Christmas album, right? And I was in the studio where we're working on a, actually a cover of a Stevie Wonder song called Someday at Christmas. It's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You can check it out. It's Lizzo's version of Someday at Christmas. And so I'd done a bunch of things for the song. I played like maybe five different keyboards on it, you know, trying to hmm. sort of emulate this classic Christmas Phil Spector wall of sound type of sound thing, the great producer Phil Spector. Yeah. So I played organ and the roads and piano and worriser and synthesizers, just all these kind of stacking of sound of keyboards. And then I played, you know, drums and percussion and bells, like, Pretty much all the music I cover. Mm. I did a string arrangement and conducted the strings for that a particular session. I'm just kind of the glue guy. Like music is my thing to that certain extent. And so we're in the studio, we're wrapping up that song, and I'm sitting across from Pop and our engineer, Ruddy, and we're just like, man, we need guitar on this. Who are we going to get to grab guitar? And I literally just came from earlier in the day from teaching at LACM at Monsanto College of Music. And I had a, an amazing father student, He's graduated now since graduating, an amazing student named David Fitzfaden, right? Fitzfaldin. He has an amazing trio. He's a vocalist, he's a songwriter, he's an amazing guitarist and, and, and instrumentalist. And I just came from my lesson with him. I was like, oh, David's an amazing guitarist. And I called him, David's like, he said he was in a class. I was like, David, I'm in a class. But why don't you come on down here and play on this little record. <laughs> I know it sounds funny the way I'm saying it now because it's kind of a, because I didn't say it that way at the time. It was extremely matter of fact. Uh-huh. But it's just funny to say, you know, you're telling your teacher in, in class, like, you know what, I gotta kinda go. I'm gonna play on a Lizzo record today, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I brought David in and uh you know, he's amazing, like he nailed the parts and he's on that Lizzo song. And it's one of the things that I talk to my students about because everything in the music industry is relationship. Everything is. Mm-hmm. Right? Your sort of your reputation and who you are is so paramount, right? Everything's relationship. And so part of the relationship and quote unquote networking is not necessarily like just galaxy brain thing, right? It's very simple, right? It's just keeping connection with people. The same way you have it with your friends or your family, right? David had a relationship with me, and I say to my students, just like, yeah, hey, just somebody that you know in the music industry or you're working with, or you've done some work with, or you're familiar with. Just reach out to them every once in a while. So, hey, you know, just just saying, hey, checking on you, man. I love the work that you've done in the past. Are you releasing anything soon? Or you know, I'm doing this. Or do you need help? Like. People are more inclined when you sort of offer your help as opposed to just kind of wanting to take from them, right? And being an opportunist. And so just relationship is important. And just because David was on my recollection, he was on my mind and talked with him, you know, through that week, we're doing lessons. or We're talking about maybe an arrangement on one of his songs. Just because he was on my mind, that's what networking is A relationship Mm -hmm. is sometimes. It's just you being in a, a person's just the back of their mind randomly because there's probably a thousand guitar players i could have called <laughs> you yeah, know what i mean
0: yeah but absolutely. in that
1: moment just being in the studio and just like kind of in a not a rush but like hey we need something on this now and immediately to my mom, I was like oh well david's like right over there like he's maybe 25 minutes 20 minutes from the studio at the school i just did music with him during the week he's amazing We just call him tell him to come out and play
0: i love everything you're saying i'm a huge networker and Audience, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know, part of my strategy on Instagram is the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account, it only follows people who have been a guest on this show. That's it. And that's how I keep up with everybody. And that's what I that's how I do what Jamil just said. So I'm on there every single day, right? I post seven days a week on the account, which gives me the opportunity to always stay up to date with the feed and it allows me to see what my past guests are up to. And like their post, comment once in a while, maybe send them a direct message and do exactly what Jamil said. Just kind of stay on their radar. And occasionally it'll be, hey, I'm coming to Nashville. Let's have a cup of coffee together. Hey, I'm coming to Los Angeles. Let's meet for breakfast. And now these people see Bruce is genuinely invested in what I'm doing. He's not just a podcast host that interviewed me for an hour. I mean, granted, yes, full disclosure, I am a publicist. I do have clients. And so there's more to this. But the fact of the matter is, as Jamil said, it's just maintaining those relationships, staying in contact with people and letting them see that you see what they're doing instead of look what I'm doing or can you help me with this or I need this, I want that. So Jamil, yeah. as you can tell, you're preaching to the choir here.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a balance there, man. It's a balance. Like there's nothing worse than like, being in contact with a certain individual and just knowing that any time they contact you is just to get something from you.
2: Yeah. Not worse,
1: but like but you know, sometimes it's just like, man, where's the sort of just the balance of it. it's like any relationship. Like we give and we take and we share with each other. And so right. that kind of notion of reaching out to people just to check on them and just to see what they're making, what they're involved in and if you can help or aid in them in any way. Because Indeed. that's what you want from people in their life. right?
0: you want that support. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know? So being supportive is a great Networking.
0: While we're talking about the school, the Los Angeles College of Music also has a summer at LACM series for students ages twelve and up. You will be teaching a rap and hip hop class there this summer. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes, there's the uh subversive foundation is sort of a program or an entity. What they do is they make these full scholarships to the applicants that come sort of in memory of a uh, of a student who passed away, the family members of the board of that foundation, Mm. in his name, they wanted to create this scholarship. And so all of the students that are involved in this program, they come to the program for free, right? And sort of, in certain regards, it's a little bit of a a feeder program into the institution, into the college for undergrad, because, you know, you might be in high school and you're like thinking, I might want to do this music thing. And so coming to the program, at least the rap and hip hop changed the world. I had the opportunity with a couple of individuals to, you know, just kind of mentor and just share with these students. Some of them are producers, some of them are songwriters, some of them are rappers and lyricists. And we kind of just worked through that week, you know, creating and working on their songs and just seeing, I mean, all these students are talented. I wish I had this amount of talent when I was in high school or just coming up. And so we work, we have a concert, sort of a showcase at the end of the week, you know, working on their songs and just kind of growing and just building them and letting them know, here's what, what it takes to sort of do this for real in the industry. So it's a really wonderful program. Maybe we'll link you to that and you can kind of go on that and kind of see if anybody's sort of interested in wanting to send a student or a loved one or a family member to this program. Mm. It's a really great
0: program. Very nice. Very nice. And as a potential teaching moment right now for anyone in the audience who is an aspiring performer, is there one common problem, Jameel, one struggle that you hear about from students, a challenge that they're wrestling with? Maybe it's a mistake that's being made over and over that you see, maybe it's a common complaint and or frustration that you might almost be tired of hearing about over and over. I mean,
1: I think one of the things is this sort of this obsession with perfection. There's only two things that recording artists or artists do essentially at the core. One is, is that they record music and they release it and then they perform. Right. And so, Sometimes we like doing things extremely difficult, but if my students aren't doing those two things or not moving towards those two things, I ask them, like, this is like a, a midlife crisis. Like, this is a crisis for, like, what are we doing? What mm-hmm. are you doing? Right? And I have plenty of students, because I'm, like, guilty of this, too. You get into a space where, like, you don't want to release something because, oh, maybe it needs to be this or it's not good enough, or it's, like, not this or not this. You can get into this paralysis of not releasing things because you're too... You lock, their are fixated into this notion that it may not be good enough, or it may not be this, or it may not be that. Mm-hmm. Right? You paralyze yourself. And so, one of my things that I always try to get my students, especially in today's climate, because right, the album, sort of the quote-unquote, class quintessential album model, I don't say it's dead, but it's not as prevalent as it was. Right? Everything is about what nowadays: content, content. Right? Releasing your music every six to eight weeks, or whatever sort of timeline that you have. But if you don't, the algorithms on these social media networks and things of that nature. Like there's so much content happening, like you can kind of get lost sort of in the wave of things that are released and battling for people's attention. And so I often find with my students that like, you can't get fixated on this notion that this has to be a certain way. So part of what we do as musicians and creatives and when we create and release music is we're creating these snapshots of a time period in our life, right? All music is is expression, like how we feel, what we want to express to the world. Mm. And so if you think about it that way, that this is just a time period. Yes, i could going to listen back, anybody listening back to their old music, they're like, oh my gosh, I could have been a lot better doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's just a normal human occurrence. And so you need to be releasing good music. That's not to say don't make it the best that you can make it or make the professional super mixed and clean. Yeah, you do that. But you can't be overly fixated on it being perfect. It paralyzes you and you don't release anything. And I had so many students that I they struggled with that. And I pushed them to it, past it to release their music. Because if nobody hears your music, you have no chance of being anything. Mm. You know what I mean? People wow. have to hear you. So you have to put it out. You know what I mean? And wow. that's one of the crux of sort of my sort of teaching notions that I have with my students is to do the work, put the music out so people can get to it and hear it. Don't be so overly critical of yourself that you just don't put anything out. You paralyze yourself and you don't do anything. Yeah. Put it out. It's just a snapshot of time of the period. Yes, you're going to be better. Yes, you're going to make better music. That doesn't mean that you don't put this out now.
0: Yeah, I love that the audience gets to hear that from you because I certainly believe in it. And obviously hosting this show for this past Saturday, we hit the 10-year anniversary of this show. So 520 plus episodes and all the guests that I've talked to and people that I've met in the music business, in my travels, Nashville, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, et cetera, people that I've met that have that where they just are so perfectionist that they just can't let a song go. And Jamil just said something interesting, which is That the longer you hang on to a song, you might still be looking at it a year and a half later. Well, now things have changed in your life. And so those circumstances, those Mm -hmm. feelings are very different. And there's also what a few guests have said from time to time in this show, which is the song that you think is going to be successful, the song that you think is going to be a hit ends up not really doing that much, and it's the one that you really didn't have the big plans for and just kind of felt okay about it, but you put it out there. That ends up really taking off. So what good is being a perfectionist going to get you when there's that at play?
1: Yeah, I tell my students this all the time. I had a teacher tell me this. I can't remember which teacher it was. But he says, don't ever fall in love with a song that you wrote. I know that sounds crazy to think about, but don't. You're going to have, in your lifetime, thousands of songs, maybe hundreds of songs that you're going to write. You don't fall in love with any one of those. Don't fall in love with it, right? You have to always be able to have the ability to either edit the song or even give the song away. Mm. You don't fall in love with the song, you know what I mean, in that context. Wow. And I think that's a good notion to live by, idea to live by.
0: Let's kind of shift our focus here a little bit, our direction. As a voting member of the Recording Academy, Jamil, is it safe to assume that you were at the Grammy Awards two and a half weeks ago? Well, Actually,
1: I was actually working, <laughs> wow. so let's know what my life is like, but I did kind of like drop in a little bit, check in and just kind of see, I was looking at some people's pages and just looking at some of the clips and things of that nature, so I'm, I'm aware of, of a lot of the things that happened during that week and at the Grammys itself, the telecast.
0: So the more things change, the more they stay the same, because it sounds like your Philadelphia days of being in the studio on a Sunday night and instead <laughs> of at the Grammys... <laughs>
1: Yeah, and now it's like everything is coupled with that with my whole sort of education and teaching sort of schedule as well. So I'm doing (laughs) both things, or three things at least, I like to think. Because for me, I've always survived musically from three aspects of things, and there's a balance there, right? I've been a performer, so I still perform at a service service here, church here. Uh, Composing or producing, right? I do that, and teaching and education. So all three of those things are always currently going on with me. Sometimes one thing is like just is is more prevalent than the other, and that's just the, always the case. So right now, education and you know, recording and, and making songs is taking all of my time. Mm.
0: Well, speaking of going to events, every year since January 2017, I had gone to the NAMM Show in Anaheim, California, mm-hmm. and I actually had to miss this year for the first time because the dates were the exact same as Podfest Multimedia Expo in Orlando, where I was a speaker. But Jamil, oh. I know that you were at NAM last month, late January. While you were there, you led the Los Angeles College of Music's Gen Next panel, giving advice on becoming mm-hmm. competitive with your unique voice and ability. Tell us about that session as well as other ventures. Were you able to walk the show, maybe see any cool products at NAM, any events you attended, maybe somebody notable you met with?
1: Yeah, that was a great panel. NAM was great this year on my panel. I think a couple of things that I kind of wanted to, you know, sort of get across to some of the young artists at that particular panel was the notion of, man, again, because everything is so quick nowadays and we have this technology, everybody thinks that they're going to make it in the industry yesterday. You know what I mean? They wanted to have made it yesterday, right? So even the notion of labels, like when it's time to get a deadline, they wanted that song yesterday, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And so much of it is just a process, like you have to grow. And I found so many of the artists that I was talking with there, the younger artists that were kind of coming up to me, they were all saying, man, what I got to do to make it t- like tomorrow, essentially, like make it today. <laughs> and I had to tell them, I was telling all of them, like, guys, I've been doing this for over a decade. <laughs> yes, my story's a little atypical. In my second year of producing and songwriting, I had a placement with Nicki Minaj, right, a huge rapper. But this stuff takes time. And so that was one of the things I tried to impart upon them is like, don't forsake or like look at the journey as being this like terrible thing. Like, that is the beauty of it, is the journey. I tell my students, if you're going to be a songwriter and an artist, a a recording artist, that's going to be your whole life, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're not going to think or look at, man, I I have to make it by the time I'm 22. Like, if it's your whole life, settle into that fact, let that resonate all over you, like, just settle into your spirit that, hey, this is what I'm gonna do my whole entire life. This is my journey, is to make a record music, to change the world, to express these feelings, these notions into the world through my music, through my artistry. There's no timeline on that, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't have to win a Grammy by the time I'm 24. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like That's the notion. So that's one of the things I tried to impart upon them at NAMM this year, it was like, man, live in this experience, don't set timelines, that you have to be this by that. That doesn't I mean don't set goals. Yeah, set goals, set high, lofty goals, so you can work to them. But be resolute and resolved in the fact that this is your existence. This is your life. You're going. I'm going to be making music for the rest of my life, and I'm happy with that. I don't have to make it anywhere now. I've had success, so it's easy for me to say that. <laughs> you know what I mean at this yeah, point. Yeah. But I'm resolved in the fact that I can just, you know, just make some music and just keep making music and improving and growing at my craft. You know, and so that was one of the things I imparted on my panel there. And there was great. There were so many different sort of vendors and things of that nature. I didn't get to do as much as I wanted mm. because I was doing a bunch of different interviews. But I definitely did something with the John Lennon bus, which is a great little venture. It's the John Lennon Foundation has a bus where they bring on like a set of students on a particular day and you work with them as a producer or songwriter and you make a song and a music video all in one day and you record it and have that put out. So I went there to see the John Lennon bus and we're going to hopefully do something at, you know, LACM with the John Lennon bus, because it kind of travels around the country, just kind of like creating music with the upcoming students and things of that nature. So that was excellent to do at the NAMM show this year.
0: Nice. Nice. I like it. I like it. We're going to close today with an Ariana Grande song from her. Thank you. Next album that was nominated for the 2020 Grammy album of the year. And Jamil did songwriting and arranging for Jamil, before I let you go, share first with the audience about In My Head, as well as working on that album project, if you would, please.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's a funny story. I think most people know the uh, sort of the classic SNL, Saturday Night Live comedian, Pete Davidson. Funny guy, but interesting story enough. During some of the first Thank Next sessions, Pete Davidson was dating Ariana Grande. Mm. And so I met him. He came to the studio. We were working. We met during some of the first sessions. Well, during sort of the secondary sessions that we had, like, some weeks after that to wrap up some new songs, Pete and Ariana had broken up. And so the backstory behind that is that, you know, Ariana had a, you know, sort of a confidant, a friend, uh, you know, a partner who passed. Though He was the rapper, Mac Miller. He passed of an overdose. Yeah. And, you know, Pete, you know, and comedians sometimes had this notion, and I, I even seen Dave Chappelle get in trouble for this, were like they feel like they have poetic licenses to say anything because it's the art, right? It's mm-hmm. the craft. Mm-hmm. We can say anything. And so Pete, you know, in fewer or lesser words, said to her, I can't kinda of wait for you to kind of be over, you know, Mac Miller's death so I can kind of, you know, make right jokes about him or in that space or in that field. Yikes. And so <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, that didn't work out well. And so the angle that we approached now was that, oh, wait a minute. She thought that this guy was like a really great guy for her. But it was all in her head.
0: Right. It uh... wasn't the case, right?
1: We always say this, like, you know what I mean? Potential means nothing. It's the actualization or the realization of whatever that is actually matters, right? Potential means nothing. It was all in our head. And so that's the song that we created from that angle. Wow. Like, this guy, was, he seemed like he was good. It was in our head. And on the record, it starts with her friend, Doug Middleton, sort of leaving her voicemail message, you know, after the breakup, just kind of saying, hey, it's okay. I'm coming over. I'm going to talk you through this and help you heal through this breakup. And that's how the song comes on in my head.
0: Jamil, we're just meeting each other for the first time. Is it okay if I embarrass myself (laughs) at the beginning of that track? At the beginning of that track, I actually thought that was Simon Cowell's voice. (laughs) (laughs) I eventually convinced myself it wasn't the more that I heard kind of the context of what was being said. But, you know, you start kind of convincing yourself that, well, you know, he's such a high-profile guy, it wouldn't be unusual to put someone like that together for something like an Ariana Grande song. And I thought, well, I'm certainly wrong. But at no, the same sure. time, I'm glad to get the right story now. So thank you for explaining that. It has been wonderful to talk to you, Jamil. Thank you so much for making time to be on Now Here at This Entertainment. I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Bruce. It's been amazing wonderful.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to multi-Grammy nominee, platinum-selling producer, songwriter, composer, arranger, educator, and instrumentalist, Jamil J. Proof-Roberts. As I mentioned earlier, on the show page for this episode, on my podcast website, nhte.net, I'm going to put a link to Jamil's bio page on the Los Angeles College of Music website, there is an email address for him on that page in case you want to get in touch that way. Plus, you will also see a link there for his Instagram account, which is simply at jproof, by the way. So do find and give him a follow on there. I already did that myself this morning, and I'm sure he would appreciate you doing the same. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Here This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for having stuck with Jamil and I. I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, what is officially 10 years now without missing once by going on my podcast website, nhte.net, and then using the yellow Buy Me a Coffee logo that you will see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me including a note that I will see when you utilize that option. You can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash w. That's going to do it for episode 523. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with the Ariana Grande song that Jamil just talked about. This is called In My Head.
2: Here's the thing. You're in love with a version of a person that you've created in your head that you are trying to but cannot fix. Uh, The only person you can pick is yourself. I love you. This has gone on way too long. Enough is enough. I'm two blocks away. I'm coming over. Painted a picture. I thought I knew you well. What isn't there? Caught in the moment, single up in your sheets. But well, you broke my heart. I said you only wanted half of me.